All right. Well, if you've been with us the past seven weeks, we've been looking at the life of David. And the last two weeks of David's life, we've been looking at perhaps the darkest chapters in David's life. We've been looking at how he failed with adultery with Bathsheba and eventually murdered her husband. Two weeks ago, we looked at what led up to David's downfall, David's failure. Last Sunday, we looked at Nathan the prophet and how he confronted David and, and what we can learn about that. All right, so the last two weeks. Today, I want, to really, I want to really zero in on how David recovered or bounced back from the terrible failure in his life. How is it that David, who did something so immoral, so terrible, how is it that we still talk about him today in a positive light? A man after God's own heart. And perhaps you can relate somewhat to this. Maybe you know someone who failed miserably, but their bounce back from that failure has been so drastic and so amazing, it kind of shocked you. It shocked everybody you know, you know, everyone around you that knows that situation. And when people look at that person today, we don't see their failure. We see the God's amazing grace in that person's life. Or perhaps, on the other hand, you know some people that failed and they, they never recovered from it. They never bounced back. What's the difference here? What's the difference from one person who was able to bounce back and what's the difference to the, with the person that didn't bounce back? And I was thinking about, you know, people taking a hit. You know, I, I can't help but to think about quarterbacks in a football game. They know how to take a hit. I had to look this past week to see what NFL quarterback has been sacked the most. And I thought for sure it would be a Detroit Lions quarterback. You know, for sure it would be a Lions player. But I was surprised to find out that the number one quarterback that's been sacked the most, in fact, he just broke the record. He just became the new leader of the sack record. And happens to be one of my favorite NFL football players because he's from Michigan football. He's a Michigan guy. You know who I'm talking about. Tom Brady. Tom Brady has had 533 sacks in his life. Talk about a guy that knows how to take a lot of hits. He's been hit down. He's been knocked down so many different times, and yet he figured out a way every 533 times how to get back up. So much that he's won seven different Super Bowl champions and perhaps is the greatest football player, quarterback of all time. Here's the deal. 
we're all going to take hits in life. We're all going to get knocked down, including myself. There's not a person in this room that's not immune to failure. To failure. So what can we learn and how to recover from a failure? How can we get back up and keep moving forward? If you're taking notes this morning, here's the big idea on your handout notes. It's so huge. If you're taking notes, here it is. Your comeback can be stronger than your setback. And that's the theme of the message today, is that your comeback can be bigger, can be stronger than your setback. But only, only if you can follow the right formula. Only if you follow the right steps. And today, I'm going to look at four things that David did. And I believe that if we do this as well, it will allow you to bounce back from any setback that you face in life, no matter how big, no matter how small the setback. I believe if we do these four things, and we see in David's life, if we do these four things, you can bounce back bigger than the setback that you've fallen down into. So if you're taking notes, here's the first thing we see about David. David had to own it. David had to own it. Now this, this seems so obvious. This step seems so obvious, but oftentimes we skip over. You know why? Because we are born to blame others. We like to point the fingers. By the way, this happened in the garden. Remember? Adam and Eve. They, they sinned against God, and God said, who done it? <laughs> and there's the fingers. They say, he did it. It's his fault. It's the snake's fault. It's the woman's fault. They point fingers. We're, and listen, we're all natural-born blamers. We have a tendency to blame other people. And when we have a setback... When we have a failure, whether it's a failure in the job, whether it's a failure in a marriage, whether it's a failure in your own personal life, what you're doing, whatever failure you have, you have to ask yourself some very uncomfortable question. Some uncomfortable questions. There's two of them. It's not on your notes, but just think about it. Question number one we have to ask ourselves, did I have a part to play? Did I have any part to play in that failure, in that setback? And question number two, what can I learn from that failure? What can I learn from that mistake? Could I have done something differently? And we hate these questions, by the way. In fact, we try to avoid these questions like the plague. I know I do. Because it's easier to just blame someone or something. And know why we do it? Because it's a better story to tell. You know, if you go, you know, if you're a teacher, you know, you've seen this, you've seen all the excuses why a student doesn't come back to school with their homework done. Okay? And, and, and the story sounds out of this world. You know? It, it goes, oh, you know. It somehow got washed in the washing machine, my homework. 
or, or, or um, the dog ain't my homework. I remember one time I had a legitimate excuse, but I had to own a part of it. I left my homework on top of my locker. And not just my homework, but my textbook and everything. And the janitor, I'm, by the way, there's a rule about not leaving anything on top of your locker. And so the next morning, I couldn't find uh, the textbook and, and there was a couple of books that I had borrowed from the library. You know, not from the school library, library but the public library. And, 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 and so they were gone. They were missing. And we couldn't find it anywhere. I asked the janitor and the cleaners, I said, hey, did you see those books? Did it, maybe you guys took it off. And uh, no, no one could tell me anything. And this was in the middle of winter time. And I just had a gut feeling it got thrown in the garbage, in the dumpster. I don't know what happened, but I went to the dumpster and I looked on the bottom and frozen on the bottom, it had just frozen rain the night before, frozen on the bottom in the ice was my homework and the library book and all my textbooks. So, you know, I, I dug it out. <laughs> you know, we got my homework. I was still able to turn in my homework. It got turned in. It smelled nasty. Okay, I turned in, hey, I took the text, I took the library book because I work on the research paper. I took the library book back to the library. My mom was with me, remember that? Oh yeah, it, it, was, it was, um, you know, how, how you turn in library books that been sitting in ice garbage water, you know? And um, I think we've been banned from the Troy Public Library. You know, I'm, not, I'm, I'm sure I'm not allowed to go back. But I had to own my part in it. I, it was easy for me to blame, and I had a wonderful blame story. And we have a tendency just to blame others. Here's what I have in my notes, if you want to take note. You can't move into a better future until you own your piece of the past. Maybe you don't own all of it, but you need to own something. Maybe you need to look back and say, you know, hey, I, I need to own my end of a deal. Maybe you need to own all of it. But you can't get ahead, you can't move forward until you admit and own your part of the past. David will see that he owned all of it, 100%. He owned the whole thing. It was his fault. I mean, he could have come up with excuses. He could have blamed someone he could have blamed something. He could have said, oh, man, you know, I'm so busy. I'm so tired, you know, working hard. It's, a, it's hard work being a king and taking care of everybody, everybody in the kingdom. It's hard work. I mean, he could have, he could have blamed that. He, he could have said, you know, she was not meeting my needs. My wife was not meeting my needs. And so, you know, I just wandered out on the rooftop and, and I just happened to look down. There's this woman naked taking a bath. And what am I supposed to do with that? And I mean, David, you know, he could have just blamed it on her. He could have blamed it on all these other situations. He could have blamed it on, oh, I'm just feeling overworked. He could have played the blame game. But the amazing, the amazing thing about David is that he never placed the blame anywhere else. 
He immediately owned it. Look here in Psalm 51 and verse 3. David, he said this, for I recognize my rebellion. The word recognize in the Hebrew is a very rich, rich word. It literally means, it literally means to take full ownership of, to take full responsibility of. David recognized, he said, I take full ownership of my sins. I own it. He said, it haunts me day and night. Now remember, right, David the king. He's the top, he's the top dog of the organization chart. And here's why I bring that up. If you're a leader here today, if you're a leader at your company, you're a leader in your, you know, you could be a leader in your home, but if you're a leader, you need to know that the higher you go up on the organization chart, the harder it is to own it. The harder it is to own it, and here's why. Here's why it's harder to own it. Because you have so many people beneath you to blame. You can blame it on so many people beneath you. If you I got this on your note. The higher you go in leadership, the harder it is to take ownership. And some of you have been on the flip side of that. You had a fall. He made a mistake. And you took the fall for it. Someone had to take the fall, and he, hey, he had to look good. He's the CEO. You know, he, he needed a good PR. So someone had to take the downfall. And it's so easy for a leadership to place blame on others, and David could have done that. He had opportunities, but he didn't. You know, it's interesting to me that if you were to, to compare or contra contrast David's life to Saul's life, if you were to compare these two men, Saul made fewer mistakes. Here's the difference. Saul never owned any of it. King Saul never took any responsibility for any of his mistakes. He was always blaming others. But David, he took full ownership. David owned it. And so that's the first step. Here, if you want to bounce back, if you want to have a comeback, the first thing you have to do, you've got to own your part of the pie. You've got to own your part of the situation. We've got to move, in order to own your part, if you want to move forward, you've got to own your part. That's number one. Here's the second thing. David didn't just own it, but he had to confess it. He had to confess it. We saw this first last week, but let's look at it again. Verse number 13, David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. David immediately confessed his sin when he was confronted with it. Now, let me ask you a question. Does anybody here have, do you struggle? Does anybody here struggle saying the words, I'm sorry? You all struggle saying that? I, I know I do. Men, come on, come on. You have a hard time saying I'm sorry to your girlfriend or to your wife. I'm sorry. You know, <laughs> I, I struggle. Sometimes I tell Karen, I say, Karen, I'm sorry, babe. And Karen would look at me and she said, no, you're not. 
I said, what are you talking about? And she knows exactly what I'm talking about. She's right. Because sometimes I'm just saying sorry just to move on. I'm sorry, can we just go to bed? <laughs> I'm sorry, can, can we just move on? Can we go eat? I'm sorry, can we just move ahead? Oftentimes, we say sorry out of regret instead of repentance. And there's a big difference between regret and repentance, right? When, when we say when we say sorry out of regret, here's what, here's what that means. Regret says, I'm sorry I got caught. I got busted, I'm sorry. On the flip side of the coin, repentance says, I'm sorry I want to change. I want to change. And there's a big difference between regrets and repentance. I mean, have you been pulled over by a police officer? All right, let's just go ahead. I'm not, I, I got my hands up. Don't make me feel the only one. Okay, all right. <laughs> There's regrets when you get pulled over. You know why? Because, you know, you got caught. You got caught going too fast. And there's also regret because you know that it could have cost you something out of your wallet. It could have cost you something. You know, you got to pay something. But sometimes... And you tell the officer, I'm so sorry. It won't happen again. Now, you got, you're, you're sorry out of regret. You're sorry that you got caught. But you're not quite sorry out of repentance because the minute the police officer goes away, what happened? Paddle to the metal again. You're speeding. You didn't change. It didn't change your life. You know, you didn't, you didn't say sorry out of repentance. Sorry, I've got to change. You said I'm sorry because I got busted. David, his true sorrow led to true repentance. And I love this. Psalm 51 verse 10. David said, create in me a clean heart, O God. He said, renew a loyal spirit within me. Oh, God, listen, I want to change. Change me, God. Change my heart. Change my heart so that I can be a better person. Verse number 16, Psalm 51, 16. David said, God, you don't desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You don't, you don't want a burnt offering. In other words, he said, God, if there was some sort of gift that I could bring your way to make everything better, I, I would do that. But God, that's not what you want. You don't want a gift. Here's what you rather have, God. Verse number 17, you desire a broken spirit. That's what you want. He said, you, you, you're not going to reject. You're not going to turn away a broken and repentant heart. You want, a, you want a heart to change. You want a heart that's going to do something about it. You don't want a heart that says, I'm sorry, and move on. You want, to say, you want a heart that says, God, I'm sorry, I want to change. By the way, that's what we want. When someone wrong us, we don't, you know, they, they, yeah, they might bring some flowers or a gift. 
and said, hey, I'm, you know, you know, I hope this makes it all better. And, and listen, okay, good, that's nice. But at the end of the day, what you really want from that person, it's a change. You want a change. You want a heart that changes. Okay, I don't, you know, cool, okay, that, 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 that's a nice gift. Okay, that gift is going to buy us some time. But at the end of the day, I want a heart that, of change, a repentance heart. And so if you're going to bounce back from a setback, there must be a desire for repentance, a change in your life. And, and, and confession will really kind of lead to that. And so David, he owned it. David confessed it. Number three, David had to accept it. He had to accept what he had done. There are two things that David had to accept. There are two things. You can write this down real quick. Number one, David had to accept the consequences of his sin. He had to accept that. And then number two, David had to accept God's grace. Now, oftentimes, we think that these two things should not go together. We think, you know, God forgive me. If God has given me his grace, then, then all the consequences should just go away. It should go. I mean, they should be able to trust me again right away. I, I should get my job back. Right away, the, the financial mistakes of my past and, and, and all the debt that I've accumulated, you know, well, that should just be gone too. I mean, if I'm forgiven, you know, God, let's just make this good again. Let's move forward. Let's move on. There should be no consequences. By the way, any good parent knows that you can immediately forgive your child. But that's still a consequence, Right? There's still a consequence that had to take place. You see, grace and consequences can go together. Uh, we see this in David's life. Look at verse number 13. David has uh, been confronted by Nathan, the prophet. And he says this in verse 13. He said, the Lord has forgiven you, David, and you won't die for this sin. David, you're forgiven. You're not going to die. And by the way, this is, this is a massive act of grace. It's funny, but some people say, you know, that, that in the Old Testament, that, 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 that there, you don't ever see any grace in the Old Testament. I've heard that before. Maybe you've heard that. Maybe you're maybe you one that believes that. But there is a massive amount of grace that we see right here. Why? Because the Old Testament law of this time period said that if you commit adultery and you murder somebody, the penalty of that is death. And Nathan said to David, you know, God is going to shower out his grace on you, David. You're forgiven. You are not going to die. But watch the next verse. Verse number 14. Nevertheless, 
because you have shown utter contempt for the Lord by doing this. Your child will die. The Bible says that after Nathan had left with David, that immediately that child that they had with that, that he had with Bathsheba immediately got sick, deathly sick. And you see David goes into his bedroom, changes his clothes. In fact, he, he puts on what the Bible calls sackcloth. It's like burlap. You ever feel the burlap, you know, it's a little bag. Remember when you were a kid, you had a little bag race, you know, that, that type of feel, burlap. Imagine wearing that. He put that on. He, he, he fasts. He didn't eat. He didn't sleep. He burned some ashes and put it on his head. It's a sprinkle of his body. He's he, he, the king. He's supposed to be, you know, Mr. Cosmopolitan here. And he's wearing burlap and with ashes all over him. He's having a hard time accepting the consequences. And so, oh God, if there's anything you can do to spare my son, because I don't want to accept the consequences. And, and maybe, maybe some of you have been there. You've been there before. You made a mistake, and you found yourself locking your house on the couch, you know, with a, with a bag of chip or a gallon of ice cream. You're, you're self-pity. <laughs> you, 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 man, I, I don't know that I can move on. And you're not willing to accept the consequences. And that's where David's at. And unfortunately, in this story, in this chapter, the baby dies. But I want you to notice what David does next. Look at verse number 20. The Bible said that David got news. He just heard that his baby died. The Bible said that David got up from the ground, washed himself, he put on lotions, changed his clothes. He went to the tabernacle and worshiped the Lord. He, he finally got up, accepted the consequences. In fact, he didn't let the consequences of his sin keep him from worshiping God. Hmm. By the way, that's where some of you are this morning, right? <laughs> You had to drag yourself to church. But you're, you're here. You made it. You, you made it. You said, man, I, I, it was a struggle. I mean, I, I, I'm having a hard time with this, but I, I still, even though I don't understand, I still accept whatever happened to me. And I'm still here, worshiping God, even when it doesn't make sense. I'm still worshiping what, what we can learn from David, what we can learn from this story is that people should be so surprised by how quickly we can bounce back up. Because that's what happens here in David's life. He gets back up, he takes a shower, he puts on fresh clothes. They put some lotion on, he went to church and, and listen to what the servant asked him in verse 21. The Bible said that his advisors were amazed they were shocked. They said, we, we, we don't understand. 
David, what's going on with you, man? You were, you were like a mess. You were falling apart. Now you comb your hair. You look nice. You look good. I mean, David, what's going on? And David said, listen, yeah, I had to accept the fact that God took my son because of my sin. And although I can't bring him back, I prayed, I fast, I can't bring him back. But one thing for sure, I can go where he's at. I can't see him again. I, David bounced back. You see, we should be surprised when we see people bounce back. In fact, we should surprise people when we bounce, when we bounce back from a setback. And if you had a failure in your past, listen, I believe every morning Satan whisper in your ear, say, man, you're a failure, you're not worthy. Some of you, you've accepted the consequences, but you've not accepted God's grace. You see, shame and, and, and guilt will, will keep people on the ground more than anything else. They've not accepted God's grace. They have a hard time accepting it. Or maybe they accepted God's forgiveness, but you haven't forgiven yourself. Everyone else has forgiven you. God has forgiven you, and you know it, but you won't forgive yourself. You haven't accepted God's grace. And if you're here this morning and you find yourself having a hard time accepting God's grace, I hope you hear this next statement so clearly because this is the central message of the whole Bible from cover to cover. If you're taking notes, here it is. That your biggest sins are never too big for God's grace. Your biggest sin, your biggest failure, your biggest mistake is never too big for God's grace. But look at David's life, right? David, adultery. David, murdered. And yet God has forgiven David. Look at what he said in verse number 7, Psalm 51, 7. David said, God, purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. David understood the gospel message, what God had done for him. If you're here this morning, you want to bounce back. You've got to accept the consequences. You got faith to, hey, you got faith to music. You got to be willing to take it. But at the end of the day, you have to receive God's Forgiveness and grace. See, Jesus died on the cross so that he could take your shame and your guilt and then put it on the cross. And we can leave it there. But some of you keep taking it back. You keep taking back the shame. Jesus said, no, I, I nailed it to the cross. Leave it there. David owned it, confessed it. He accepted it, number four. So important. Number four, David had to release it and he had to move on. He had to release it and keep pressing forward. Let, let's go back two weeks ago. 
Where were David supposed to do? Where were David supposed to be before the affair with Bathsheba happened? Where was he supposed to be? Y'all remember? War. War. All right, that's what David does. Do you remember who they were fighting? Did I hear Ammonites? Ammonites, okay, all right, Ammonites. All right, these are the guys that are poking all their eyes out. And they're taking half their beard. And half their, you know, their pants. So, you know, they're taking these men, Israelite men, you know, they're half naked, half bearded, and one-eyed. <laughs> one-eyed. I don't know if that's a word or not, but I just made it up. All right? The Ammonites, they were cruel people. And they were at war with them. That's what David's supposed to be. Well, guess what's going on in this whole time that David failed, his setback, had his affair, murdered, had a baby, being confronted by Nathan? By the way, I said last week that the time period from, from David's sin with Bathsheba and murder to, you know, Nathan's confrontation was about 12 months. A long period of time. Guess what's still happening in all of this? There's still a battle going on. War is still happening. Look at verse number 26. Meanwhile, Joab, that's one of David's generals, right? He's fighting against Rabbi, the capital of Ammon, the Ammonites. He's still fighting. And so David, he has a choice. He, hey, he found it. Right? He, 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 he confessed it. He, 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 he accepted God's grace and accepted the consequences. He faced the music. But number four, this is so important, David had to release it and move forward. He had to move on. He, in other words, we see David getting back into battle. Look at verse number 29. David gathered the rest of the army and went to Rabbi. And he fought against it, and he captured it. He won. He defeats the Ammonites once and for all. He gets back in the fight. He releases it. He moves ahead. He moves on. Question for you. Have you got back in the fight? Have you got up? Have you bounced back? Nathan, pass me a basketball here. All right. Bible says, Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs chapter, what the, where's the verse at? Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16. The Bible says that the godly man may trip seven times, right? But they get up again. The godly man, he bounces back. He bounces up seven times. He's not godly because he fell. He's godly because he gets back up. If you're in this room, you call yourself a righteous man, a godly man. By the way, this is the picture, this is it's a description of a person who's a believer in Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, guess what's gonna happen? You're gonna trip. You're gonna fall. And you have a choice. Do you bounce back up? Like you should. Listen, every one of us has the capacity to bounce. Not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus did for us. We're bouncing back, baby. Woo! Nathan, give me another ball. Unfortunately, 
Mom, I'm so sorry. I know you're a bit of Alabama fan. Unfortunately, I've seen so many Christians. The saddest, the saddest thing to see in a child of God is when they fall, but they don't bounce. I don't need it back. It's okay. You know, just give it to my mom, and it kind of goes where it belongs. <laughs> Alabama football. They don't bounce. It's a basketball. <laughs> they don't bounce. I see so many Christians. Yeah. They've owned it. They confess it. They've accepted God's grace and faith the music consequences. but they refuse to get back up and then move forward. The godly man falls seven times and keeps bouncing up. And the message for some of you here today, maybe God has you here speaking so clearly to you because you have, you have, you have fallen. You have fallen you won't get back up. because you feel like you're not good enough, you're not worthy. That you, you ruled yourself out of God's will. God wants you to get back up. It's God's will for you to get back up, to get back up, to get back up. By the way, what happens when you fall? The harder you fall. The harder you fall, the higher you bounce. Some of you need to bounce. Because your greatest comeback, your comeback is always can be greater than your setback. Here's the takeaway. We're done. I'm running out of time. I've talked long enough. What's your next step? What step are you needing to take? What step do I need to take? We, we mentioned all four steps. What steps? Maybe you need to own it. Uh, maybe you need to confess it. Maybe you confess to God, but you haven't confessed to the person that you've sinned against. Uh, maybe you need to accept it. Maybe you've been believing in the lies of the devil. Maybe you need to get up, release it, and move on, move forward. What have you done? And, and I'm going to encourage you this week. If you're, one of, if you're still struggling to get back up, to get with a friend that's close to you and say, hey, help me. What am I missing in my life? Pastor Scott talked about four things. What is it in my life that I need to address? What step do I need to take? And I pray that God will reveal anything to you that he will show you what you skipped over. Because here's what's on the line, my friend. Here's what's on the line. What's on the line? When you don't bounce back, it's not just hurting yourself. Here's what's on the line. It's the people around you that love you. Your family, your friends. They want to see you bounce back. And God has you here to say, hey, listen, you can bounce back from a setback. You can with the power of God. 
you can bounce back. Your comeback can be stronger than your setback. God, we ask you help us today as we look into the life of David. I pray that we're inspired by what he did. And that if David can come back, so can any of us. Maybe somebody, someone here, we've been in denial of our actions. We need to own our piece of the pie. We need to own our part. Whether it's part of it or all of it, God, I pray that we own it. God, maybe some of us here, we need to confess. We need to cry out to you, not out of regrets, but out of a heart of repentance. God, perhaps there's some of us here, we need to accept your forgiveness and grace. We need to face the music. We've got to accept the consequences. No one likes it, but we have to accept it. And then number four, God, I pray that we bounce, that we release it and move on. We, kept, we keep pushing ahead, pushing forward to what you want to do in our lives. Oh, God, help us to know that people are watching. And they're not just watching to see what we do on our own, but God, at the end of the day, when we bounce back up, it's not for our glory, but thine and thine alone. It's for your glory. That when people see a change in our lives and a difference that's been made from a failure, from a brokenness, from a past, they don't just celebrate us, but you get the glory. You get the praise because you, God, you're the way maker. You're the healer. You're the light in the darkness. You're the one that can make real change. In Jesus' name, amen.